Achieve when you are ready to level up 1720, the podcast for next level Christians. And we're back. Uh, I don't, you know, Game of Thrones is all the big rage right now. Um, sure. Well, it's like six six episodes last season, nine okay. basically nine years culminating in this last season. And in uh, one of the one of the big last scenes here in this last episode, someone left a Starbucks cup on the table. No, Twitter is losing their freaking mind. Oh, Twitter no. is losing their mind. Yeah, no, literally, it's on the table. It's, just right it's there. hilarious. It's hilarious. So you so, could like if you went and searched this, it was this is a recent episode. No, it just now happened. Yeah, no, right. it's 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 like the most hilarious. current episode. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. it's uh, Twitter, Twitter's losing their mind. Oh, and, that's uh, awesome. I thought it was hilarious, and I can't believe they didn't catch it in post because they do so much post work right. on these shows. Right. I mean, I do a lot of post work on our show, yeah, and uh, and I can't believe that you missed they missed the Starbucks cup. So I'm it's gonna the radiograph with the instrument in the body, and you don't see the radiograph yeah. image. You know, the, you know the way they solve that they count in and out, mm-hmm. and I've, I've been in there. It's really weird. Yeah. Like it's very simple how they solve that problem, right? Um, but anyways, I'm gonna switch. To, I'm gonna switch to water. So. Um, so, I tell you, today's topic comes from um, comes from an, uh, a, a conversation I was recently at dinner with a fr- friend, and we began to kind of discuss the concept of disi- discipleship, right? And I bristled a little bit, and perhaps it was because the word carried uh, so much sort of historical weight with me. I've had uh, bad experiences where churches take the concept of discipleship and they use it to kind of fill their coffers mm-hmm. or fill their ranks. Um, and when I think about it, lists of rules come to mind, an angry God who was judging me and just waiting for me to screw up, or a church that was waiting to judge me and kick me out if I didn't follow the rules or shame me into submission. And perhaps that is what is sort of the experience of many other listeners. But after much study and prayer, I can assure you uh, discipleship means something totally different. Mm. It has the power to transform your life. And it is the key to unlocking your dreams and living a life of abundance. Uh, this is why we're going to explore the concept of discipleship. In particular, we're going to discuss what does it mean to be a disciple? What does religion get wrong about discipleship? Why would we want to be a disciple? So when we are done with this episode, I think you'll be a lot more excited about this concept than you ever have been. Let's do it. Let's jump in. Okay, so let's just start with a basic definition. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Disciple is defined as a convinced adherent of a school of thought or individual. It means you really believe it, and you can identify the school of thought or individual that you are following. When Jesus spoke of discipleship, he spoke of it really to two distinct audiences, and he spoke to them differently. And these two audiences are disciples who are teachers and then disciples who are students, right? The apostles and the 70 were hand-selected by Jesus. And what he told them is he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? And that comes from Matthew four nineteen through 20. He also said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that's from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Now, when he spoke to students, he spoke very differently. Now, these, these were still disciples of Christ, but he spoke to them very differently. He, said, he would say things to them like, go and sin no more, John eight eleven. If you hold my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, John eight thirty-one through 32. 
Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Hmm. No one would expect a seven-year-old to be a parent to a six-year-old. Likewise, students have a very different mandate than teachers. The role a person plays has much to do with his calling and his season of life. Some are called to teaching discipleship very early in life. Some will be student disciples their whole life. However, mastery should be the goal of every student. With mastery comes confidence, and displays of confidence will invite students to you. And in doing so, the master will become the teacher. But if you never transition to a teacher, you can still call yourself a disciple of Christ. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that appear to call all of us to the work of the teacher. This message is found in in the letters from the apostles to the leaders of the early church. Therefore, there is a third audience, the student, the teacher, and the school, or otherwise known as the church. Yeah, a church is a church is a lot like a school for Christians in that it provides fellowship, corporate worship, and instruction. Instruction for how to run a church are in several books of the Bible, many written by Paul, in the form of letters. It is important to remember that these letters were written to the leaders of the early church and to a lesser extent their members. Most letters were written to encourage and reinforce the purpose of the church. For example, in Timothy 2.2, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. If you are a leader in the church or considering becoming a leader, these letters can be a source of inspiration and instruction. If you are a student, these letters can provide additional perspectives on the teachings of Jesus Christ and his vision for how the church members should interact with society. So discipleship can mean different things to different audiences. As a student, your goal should be mastery. The 1720 formula provides a framework for achieving that mastery. And that formula is forgiveness precedes freedom, freedom precedes abundance, which precedes riches. If you are successful in leveling up your life, your confidence will inspire others, and you will fulfill the work of the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. As with any discipline, mastery requires a great amount of effort. And before you pay that price, it is worth exploring why you would want to be a disciple of Jesus and what that journey has in store for you. Yeah, but, but before we, we dig into the why you'd want to, let's just talk for a moment about what discipleship is not. Most of the confusion about discipleship comes from religion, yep. <laughs> from man-made churches and religion and organizations. First and foremost, religious organizations tend to confuse the concept of the teacher and the student. As a result, discipleship tends to sound a lot like a recruiting call for a career in the church or the mission field. Anything less is not following, quote unquote, the teachings of Christ. There is dignity and significance in being a student. Some people will be students their whole lives. Anyone who follows the teachings of Christ is a disciple. The second thing that discipleship is not, it is not a call to experience suffering. And I tell you from the pulpit, it just seems like that's what they're telling you. If you become a Christian, it is all about your suffering. And and in some ways, if you could just suffer more. And then all the loss that you'll suffer for. That's right. If you just could suffer more, you'd be a better Christian. 
But there really are just kind of three types of suffering, and only two of them pertain to being a Christian. The first one is the normal suffering of life, death, betrayal, disappointments. Now, you're going to get these whether you're a Christian or not. It's just going to happen, okay? But the second two that actually have to do with being a Christian is persecution for being a Christian, and we see that in really more in other countries, mm-hmm. and spiritual struggles with identity and desire. Mm. While there certainly are still areas of the world where the church is actively being persecuted, and we should pray for those places, China, North Korea, and many others, this is probably not the case for the majority of people listening to this podcast. We all benefit from essentially a relative degree of religious freedom. Mm -hmm. Much of the letters to the early church, though, contain instructions for dealing with persecution because they were living under Roman rule. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of talk of persecution, uh, and, 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 and it becomes very important in that context. But I think here in the West, we're seeing less direct persecution, direct persecution of the church, not because the affront to Christianity is over or is lessened in, over time, but because the devil is achieving his goal of destroying the church in a more indirect way, self-indulgence, which is the spiritual struggle that makes up the final type of suffering that is unique to Christians. The Bible speaks of this struggle in Matthew sixteen twenty four. If any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In this verse, what does it mean to take up your own cross? For individuals, the cross has a twofold meaning. The first, to suffer. And when we say that, we're saying experience positive pain associated with a positive growth. The weightlifting would be an example here. Exactly. So to suffer as we put to death our old identities in the world and trade them for our new identity in Christ. That's that positive pain, positive growth. This is often experienced as we attempt to remain uncompromising in our beliefs and making the hard choices that this may require. The second, to empathize with others. Empathy is defined as understand and share the feelings of another. This is the second of the greatest commandments of Jesus. That's Matthew 22, verse 36. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It is impossible to love your neighbor as yourself if you cannot empathize with them, see their point of view, not judge them for their actions, to even feel the pain associated with someone not living their lives to their fullest potential because of a false and maybe sinful nature. Mm-hmm. Taking up the cross of Jesus is not suffering and self-denial for suffering and denying's sake. You should deny yourself only to increase your control over yourself. Uh, For example, I've done this challenge for the last uh, month, which is to, uh, for the last minute of my shower, I take an extremely cold shower. Mm. And that's not for any other reason other than to show that I can take an extremely cold shower, right? To prove to myself that I have the ability to make a decision and stick to it. And so that's all that's about. Mm -hmm. And I want to prove that to myself. Therefore, denying is not something you do to suffer. I don't do it because I just want to suffer in a cold shower. I do it for spiritual growth. And what needs to be denied in your life is not what another needs to deny. So I'm not going around telling you, you need to take cold showers in the morning because that may not be your thing. Maybe Mm -hmm. you have a lot of self-control. Everyone is on their own journey and different things will be need to be denied at different times in your life. Denying is personal. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Ouch. Preaching and practicing denial for its impact on others is not biblical. It is about you. Mm. So important. 
Why would we want to be a disciple? For starters, it has an excellent retirement plan. I've heard that. <laughs> A.K.A. heaven. Yeah. Okay. John 14, 2 through 4. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be there where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Revelation seven thirteen through 17 says, Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Eyes have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's from 1 Corinthians 2.9. Just like earthly retirement, it could be awesome based on the choices we make now. But a life spent living for retirement kind of misses the entire point of life in the first place. Yeah, it does. That is why there is a second reason to be a disciple. Yeah, uh, you can have access to your heavenly 401k now. But <laughs> uh, through something called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the concept of abundance versus scarcity. The kingdom of is mentioned 85 times wow. in the Bible, which blew my mind. I, wow. When I was researching this, I was like, wow. It is referenced both in the present and future tense as the kingdom is here and the kingdom is near. So both here and now or here and in the future. The presence of the kingdom of God emphasizes miracles, healings, victory over sin, and gifts God has given the church. 2 Corinthians 3.16-17 through 17, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Luke 17.21 The kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom is freedom from death, freedom from sin, and freedom from scarcity. Like it says in John 10, 10, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Scarcity causes you to worry. It causes you to protect your interest. It prevents you from treating your neighbor as yourself because there may not be enough to go around. Mm -hmm. Abundance means there is more than enough. Imagine being able to live as though everything was going to work out for sure. What would you attempt if that were true? What would you be doing if you knew that no matter what, it will work out. This is how a disciple can live their life. And finally, because you no longer have to worry about there being enough, you can begin to engage in legacy thinking. This is thinking beyond your lifespan. This is thinking beyond yourself. Thinking beyond even your children and their grandchildren. You can imagine a future that impacts your community and the world. You can fulfill God's calling in your life. So many are hoping that they have enough to make it through their earthly retirement to their death. Because this is their target, missing by only 20% can be devastating. Yeah. Legacy thinking encourages you to take the Lord up on his promises found in Matthew 16, 31 through 33. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all, these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Imagine committing your life to a goal. 
that if you miss it by 80%, (laughs) your grandchildren's grandchildren will still benefit. These dreams drove the early creation of the church. It drove the creation of nations. It drove immigrants to live lives of indentured servitude so that their children could hope for a better life. And while names like Paul, John, Mark, George Washington, and Mother Teresa, and John F. Kennedy, and Martin Luther King seem like superheroes from another time, they were in fact just people, flawed people, broken people. History is filled with men and women who changed the world not because they possessed superpowers, but because they possessed legacy thinking, in which the needs of their own well-being took a backseat to the needs of others. This was their only superpower, and this power is available to every disciple of Christ. Thanks for spending this time with us again. If you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. And remember to leave us a review on iTunes and Google Play. Each positive review raises our rank and exposes this content to people who would not normally hear it. You can find links to all our social media pages, YouTube channel, iTunes, Google Play, at 1720.org forward slash podcast. That is a great way to share our content with anyone you think would benefit from what we've just talked about here. Mm -hmm. Finally, be sure to follow us on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash 1720.org. That .org is important. And subscribe to our newsletter at 1720.org. Thanks so much. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Have a blessed week.